The book of James has a warning for teachers, but what defines a teacher? And then another question, what does the Bible say about divorce? This is On Life, A Unified Heterogeneity with Jamie Sinclair, Episode 6. Welcome. So I've had some questions coming in regarding criminal justice reform and systemic racism and statues and such, but I want to take a break from current events today. It's important to stay at least somewhat engaged with current events, but my hope for this podcast is to transcend current events, Uh, not ignoring them, certainly, but also regularly tackling a broad variety of questions on life. So I wanna, what I want to do is avoid getting chained to the news cycle. Um, so keep the questions rolling in, ask questions about current events, but also ask questions about lots of other interesting topics and, and ideas and issues. And I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, I've said it pretty much every episode, but real quick, I'll say it again. Save this number. Shoot me a text when you think of something. The number is 315-566-0056. Um, One other note before I dive into a couple of questions. This podcast is a bit delayed in coming. I skipped last week entirely. I was participating in an online conference with a uh, social reform uh, program over in Cambridge, England, and it was super interesting. It was on the topic of family. And then this week, Tuesday's like my recording day, and I was helping with the New York State primary elections. I was working as a poll site coordinator, so I was working from like 5 a.m. till 9.30 p.m., and needless to say, I did not get my episode recorded. I'd hope to do it Wednesday or Thursday, but here it is, Friday evening, coming at you. So the first question is this, what defines a teacher? I have thought often about, oh, this is the actual question that came in. I have thought often about this because of the platform we have with social media and podcasts and all the different outlets at this point. So many people are teachers. And I often cringe knowing that they are using their platform to influence many people in their way of thinking and their interpretation, but they are told that they will be held to a higher judgment or stricter judgment. So what does it mean to be a teacher? Is that just in the sense of being a pastor or a five-fold ministry teacher, as in only to the local church? Because I feel people are often too free with their use of social media influence and podcasts to instruct and teach people without recognizing the responsibility they then have to what they're teaching. Great question. And in a nutshell, I very much agree with your concern. So the Bible verse you're referencing is found in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, within local church, certainly there are uh, specific and official positions of oversight and, and leadership and carrying a teaching authority. Um, you know, there, there's uh, a number of scriptures about this, uh, First Timothy 5 comes to mind, and uh, Ephesians is at 4, where it actually talks about the fivefold gifts, and passages like Hebrews 13, talking about obeying the leaders and submitting to them for they watch over your souls, and First Timothy 2, which talks about teaching, and Acts 20, some passages like that jump to mind. Um, but definitely here in James, I think it's pretty obvious that it is a broader audience than just like the ordained minister teaching in the context of local church. 
A few verses later in James 3, uh, verse 13, he asks, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. And so we see like this is a call to people like, hey, don't don't just talk a talk, like live it. And and he's not just talking to the oversight of the church. This is a, a call to the people of God generally. Um, we see this principle in a very uh, almost alarming and very sobering picture. Jesus is talking in, in Matthew chapter 18. I'll read a few verses here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. So what we see here is a couple of notes. The first one is this. The word offense appears in this a couple of times in verse 7 and 8. For offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. When we come, when we encounter the word offense in the New Testament, generally speaking, it is not referring to, uh, like, when I say offended often, I just think mean my sensibilities were offended. Like, oh, that kind of caused some sort of emotional reaction from me. It didn't feel very nice. Um, the, the, Biblical, like the, the, the biblical context for offense, like in this passage, is offense is a stumbling block that would cause someone to literally trip up and possibly not follow Jesus, or at least not follow Jesus in a healthy way. Um, he's like, these, these stumbling blocks, they will come. Offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. He says, if you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for you if a heavy millstone were hung around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the seas. Wow. That is uh, loaded language. Intense metaphor. Uh, I, I don't think he's, well, I suppose it might be literal. Anywho, let's uh, not d- dive into the, the exact picture here. The point, though, is this. When we're influencing people, we carry a responsibility. And as your influence grows, there's a greater and greater responsibility. Um, if we use our influence to, to cause people to engage in sin and to, to not follow Jesus in a healthy way or maybe even walk away from Jesus, wow, there is a stricter judgment. And so that warning in James chapter 3, it's, it's, a, it's a sobering thought that any of us, as we exercise our influence, should be quite aware of. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. You know, if you'd listen to, I believe the my, my introductory episode zero, a month and a half ago back now, uh, one of the things I noted about just even starting up this podcast is it's a little uh, intimidating because I recognize that over the years, 
my influence has grown. You know, when I was 15, I talked too much, but at the same time, uh, there was some grace for me in that season because I had relatively little influence. Uh, I want to be extra careful not to talk too much now. And by that, I mean just spewing many words unthoughtfully because I have grown in influence. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor at a local church. This podcast is not part of my, um, uh, like a f- official local church ministry, but certainly it's it just who I am is somebody who's growing in influence. And I want to be really careful that I'm, I'm, I'm being careful with how I'm communicating and what I'm encouraging people to think about and to c- conclude because there is a stricter judgment for teachers. So I am quite aware of this. Uh, and I agree. I, I, you know, you don't have to be on Facebook or Twitter for long to see middle-aged persons who really should be relatively mature and in control of themselves, uh, spewing just caustic statements and, uh, unqualified, just, you know, a polarizing sentiment. Uh, it's, it's embarrassing. It's alarming. It's sinful. It's irresponsible. Uh, some of them even have some influence and uh, they will receive a stricter judgment. And so we're well to keep this in mind. So for those of us listening here, rather than just pointing a finger at some of those who are being irresponsible with their platforms, I might ask you, what are your spheres of influence? You might think, well, I'm not much of a teacher. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, maybe you don't get up in front of 100 people every day. Uh, but what are your spheres of influence? You know, if, if you're relatively young, maybe they're not too large at the moment. But I dare say, if you've lived a few decades, there are coworkers, family members, neighbors, uh, somebody in like a Bible study group. There are people that you have some influence with. And uh, don't run away from influence opportunities. But wow, be careful. Um, be careful before you 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 step into them and leverage them and think, how can I use this for good? How can I use this wisely? How can I steward this opportunity rather than waste it and potentially really face some significant repercussions? Okay, the next question that came in. What does the Bible say about divorce? Wow, okay. This one's hard. Uh, this is one of those questions that's always a little intimidating. And then especially on the heels of a question about the sobriety of teaching. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so divorce. Um, I won't belabor it, but I think it's just necessary before we talk about divorce to briefly um, just state, like just recognize the fact that marriage is God's design. Um, Marriage was not uh, the, the idea of the United States of America or any other world power or you know societal institution marriage is god's design god created us male and female in his image god created adam and he created eve and in genesis chapter 2 verse 24 we read this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bond with his wife and they become one flesh and then in ephesians chapter 5 the apostle paul is is exhorting the church to Ephesus and, and instructing them. And he's calling 
wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives in a, just a self-sacrificial kind of way, just like Jesus gave his life for the church. And he says, it, it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Like, why did God create this marriage thing? It's a picture of the love that God has for us and the fact that he's fashioned us for, in, for relationship with himself. Maybe sometime I'll, I'll take 20 or 30 minutes and just kind of unpack that idea itself. But today I do want to answer the question that came and talk a little bit about divorce itself. Uh, marriage is God's idea. It's it's instituted by God. It's a good thing. It's intended to be a lifelong thing. We see this clearly in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife's wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in a case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, we see a couple of things right here in this passage. Um, firstly, very clearly, I think the, the principle comes across. The principle is God's plan is not divorce. Uh, that doesn't mean divorce isn't a real thing and might not even be appropriate at times, but that is the exception. It's not the design. God's design is for marriage to be a lifelong union. And, and, and Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, the, the, the causes to commit, commit adultery thing, hmm. what we're going to see is, uh, let's get to it when we bring up 1 Corinthians 7 a little bit. Let's jump to another section where Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19 verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across from the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, Not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Now, there are a few things to recognize here. One is Jesus again affirming God's design for marriage. Quoting from Genesis chapters 1 and 2, 
Uh, God has made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this, <clears throat> they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. Uh, and then they ask him a question about Moses and, and a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, which essentially allowed a man to divorce his wife for really any reason, and you just write a certificate of divorce and put her away. Uh, but clearly, Jesus said, this was only permitted because of the hardness of your hearts. From the beginning, that was not God's design. And then Jesus says something that pretty much echoes his staying in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So we see that this affirmation, God's design for marriage, is intended to be a lifelong union of a man and woman. God created us male and female, and God created marriage. It's a good thing. It's part of God's design. Divorce is not God's will. But this question was about divorce. And what we do see here is that, firstly, Jesus does not say what God has joined together man cannot separate. He said, let no one separate. A marriage can be ended. Um, furthermore, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, noting that there might be exceptional circumstances. Now, uh, teasing out exactly when that should happen is probably a little bit too... There's not like some formula like A plus B equals you should get divorced. Uh, it's, it's, it's exceptional, meaning if you're listening to this right now and you're married, I want to encourage you, fight for your marriage. Uh, encourage your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Serve. Lay down your life. Uh, just admit, That's what God has for us. If you're listening to this and in any way, thinking like, can I get divorced? You missed it. You're missing God's design. I want to call you to repent and to ask for the Lord to work in you, to give you grace, to, to love your husband, your wife, uh, to serve, to, to forgive, to like God has something beautiful for you. Maybe even a testimony about restoration where there might be some brokenness. However, I, I will note it's biblical. Yeah. There might be moments when divorce is permissible. It's the exception, not the rule. And all too often, we all think we're the exception instead of the rule. But there might be moments like that. Jesus specifically identifies because of sexual immorality. I don't think that means if your spouse falls into some sort of sexual sin, you have to get a divorce. But it could be a very legitimate reason to consider that. But but that's within the context of uh, I, I want to encourage you, get lots of godly input, be submitted to the oversight at your local church, um, be open, ask them for prayer, ask them for counsel, ask them for guidance. Uh, but there might come a moment where uh, where divorce might be a legitimate option. Um, there's a passage that's really significant in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is giving advice and uh, po possibly... People just recognizing like, oh, 
I, I just gave my life to Jesus, but my spouse isn't saved. Maybe I should leave them then. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul gives this instruction, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Now, important to note, again, is that the the overwhelming affirmation of this passage is pursue healthy relationship. If you're married, stay with your spouse. Invest in your, 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 your marriage. Uh, this is a good thing. Even if your spouse is an unbeliever, um, hey, you by staying there might lead to their salvation. Uh, so, so there's a, a large encouragement. Uh, a wife is not to leave her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And I would even add this, and, and Jesus implies this when he talks about the, if you get married or divorced and then married to another, there's some sort of adultery happening there's the divorce might end the marriage, but there's some sort of moral obligation that uh, persists beyond that end itself. For example, if I was connecting with a couple and, and just things got really messy and, and tragically the marriage was headed towards a divorce and the divorce happened. Um, if, if the, the one spouse, um, let's just say this was an unjust, like absolutely unjustified divorce. Uh, one, the, the spouse driving it would be in sin. Um, the spouse who's being sinned against in this case, if they kind of like, oh, the divorce happened, eh, whatever, moving on with life and like had no sense of like, man, like, God, would you do, do something in their heart? That's sin too. Like even if, even if marriage is ending, there there is... Uh, a, a sense of pursue reconciliation to the extent it's possible. Don't just, just, don't just move on. But Paul also says this, there is a point at which if your spouse wants out and they are just in, in rebellion towards God, they're, they're an unbeliever, maybe a believer, but they're acting like an unbeliever, uh, maybe even undergoing church discipline. It's another conversation for a different episode. Uh, he says, verse 15, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. So some people take a strong position, and I understand because it is the general principle, but some people take a position that uh, a marriage cannot be ended except by death, that divorce is like not a thing. And and I understand the 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 motive behind that i think uh, like the the instinct because yeah that, that's the intention for marriage is that it is a lifelong covenant but what's clear in 
Matthew 19, what's clear here in 1 Corinthians 7 is that uh, divorce is a thing that can happen. Marriages can be ended. Uh, They can often be ended inappropriately, sinfully. Sometimes because of sin, they might be a permissible divorce end. Um, But certainly if your spouse rejects you in the marriage and rejects God, there is a sense of you're no longer bound. You are free. You're, and, and by free, it means you're free to marry again, um, just as you'd be free to marry again if your spouse passed away. And and so that's really significant. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, it specifies a non-believer. But what's very clear from just a couple of chapters earlier is that if a, if a believer is living in unrepentant, uh, rebellion and sin towards the Lord. There's a process through which this happens, but at some level, we don't interact with them like they're a believer. Uh, very sadly, there are stories like this. Uh, there, take a woman who's married to a guy and they have two young children, and he starts getting physically violent with the kids. Uh, we're talking like a two-year-old and a four-year-old getting frustrated with them, just kind of manhandling them and pushing them and hitting them, uh, pushing his wife up against a wall out of frustration at times, um, sometimes leaving for a night or two, sleeping with other women. Sadly, this happens. This happens. And this happens in sometimes a, a house that's part of a local church. And that there's certainly a, uh, firstly, if I find about some find out about a situation where there's some sort of physical abuse or or, or threat like that, the, the first thing is, hey, let's step in and make sure that there's a an immediate like safety, like hey, let's get you someplace else. Uh, let, let's step in and help, and then let's let's pursue repentance and reconciliation um, with both uh, certainly a, a, a very like sense of urgency, but also a sense of caution. Um, sadly, there are situations like this where the husband's just like, I'm out. I don't want to meet. I don't want to talk. Um, I'm doing my thing. And maybe at one point he'd professed faith in the Lord. Maybe he even still would. But he's very clearly living in open rebellion towards the Lord. If he's a member of a local church, they'll go through a process, but eventually um, they will put him out of the fellowship uh, and I would say in that process, there's a sense of this is a non-believer who is, even if not filing, by the way, sometimes a spouse will functionally divorce their other their their wife or husband, but they won't legally go along with it. That they will they will leave, they will be sleeping around, they will be starting another life, but they will hold this legal document as almost some more manipulation over their ex-spouse, who really is a former spouse at this point in, in a lot of ways, but they're, they're just hanging on to the legal thing as, as almost a, a a control manipulation tactic. And the, the, the word of the Lord here is, man, if, if the non-believing spouse leaves, they, they can leave. You're, you're not bound in such cases. And those situations are sad and tragic, and I, I pray they are fewer and fewer and fewer. And again, they are the exception, but things like that happen sometimes. And 
the question that came in is what's what's the Bible say about the divorce? What the Bible says about divorce is it's not God's plan, but it can happen. When a divorce initially happens, certainly there is still there there ought to be a sense in the the non-offending, the non-sinning party of of even that that moment a uh, a uh, a, some sort of pursuit of and hope for reconciliation, but if it's clear that the the spouse is just an open, blatant rebellion, they're they're not a believer, or they might be a Christian, but they're they're living in sin and going through through excommunication with local church. There comes a time, and again, it's not a simple formula: A plus B equals you're good. Uh, but walking through with with uh, men and women in your life, praying with you and crying with you, and and bringing this to the Lord and, and processing, there, there's a there is a point where, it, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. So in short, what does the Bible say about divorce? Yeah, it's not God's plan, but it it can happen at times. At, at times, it may be even permissible, and when it is not a good thing, there can still be a point where the non sinning party, at least in the divorce, probably the lead up to it had both people sinning, but in the divorce itself, that the non-sinning party, there does come a time when they are free, um, f- free to move on. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the plan is good and beautiful and the perversion can get real messy real fast. And there are all sorts of just messy, complicated scenarios that aren't, the Bible doesn't have like a massive chapter trying to explain how to manage every single one of a bunch of complicated scenarios. Uh, certainly we want to call people to God's good design and we want to walk with people and pray with people and compassionately support people in the midst of a lot of just suffering resulting from all, all manner of sin that we encounter in this life. And where where the person we're working with is in sin, we call them to repentance. Um, but sometimes part of the fallout of their spouse's sin is a divorce. And what is important is to to be open, honest, come get counsel, get direction, to repent where repentance is needed. But if if a wife or a husband is e- open to and, and eager to pursue reconciliation, the other party is just clearly out. There comes a point where a brother or sister is not bound in such cases, to quote 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. And so that, in a nutshell, is a bit of what the Bible says about divorce. Um, it wasn't an entirely thorough uh, exposition of all scripture, but those were like the, the, some of like the key passages. Um, and it's it's complicated and it's messy in real life. Uh, I, I would I would encourage you know here's a parallel uh, with healthcare. Um, it seems like sometimes a lot of our focus is on care after there are health catastrophes, and when we step back and think about it, I, I think most of us realize oh, it'd make a lot more sense and be a lot more pleasant if we put more care and attention to health before there was the catastrophe. Uh, definitely, if you've uh, either been personally involved in divorce or maybe walked through a friend who's going through something like that, it's pretty obvious when you step back, yeah, 
in the middle of that catastrophe, let's step in, let's love, let's let's support, let's let's try to hear people, let's call people to repentance, let's call people to to faithfully serve Jesus. But man, let's redouble efforts to encourage husbands and wives to to love each other, to listen to each other, to serve each other, to forgive each other, to bless each other, to like let's invest in healthy marriages and not so much focus on just dealing with the catastrophic breakdown of bad ones. But when there are breakdowns, man, Jesus came to meet people in messy situations. And so if you're listening right now and you've been divorced, I want to encourage you to, to get wise counsel. Um, to, to Man, where, where there's where there's a need for repentance still, don't just ignore it because it's unpleasant. Humble yourself and be open to repent. Um, but in that process, what's also amazing is you'll find the place of, here's what I need to do to pursue a reconciliation or to recognize I'm free. If you are married right now, I want to encourage you, make sure you're not headed down this path. This is not God's design. God's design for marriage is for a healthy husband and wife, for a healthy family, for a healthy society. Like this is a good and beautiful thing. And yes, marriage is hard at times, but God has good things for you. He wants to meet you in the midst of this. Maybe even work a marvelous testimony in the middle of your marriage relationship. So God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Shoot me some questions about some other topics if you have them. Bible, philosophy, politics, whatever. I'm game. Let's talk about all things on life. Peace.